Greetings, brothers and sisters. It is good to be with you this day, sharing from the word of the Lord. And uh, hopefully we will hear from what the Spirit is saying to the church in these last days. Our brother John has been speaking to us uh, in the last few weeks on a new theme. And it's a theme I really agree with. It's something very important, what the Spirit is really speaking to us in days like this. Um, and it is getting back to the God of the Bible. And I think that is so crucial because our view, our view of God will effectively determine what we think, who we are and what we do in life. It's literally, our view of God is what is the foundation of our life. It's the foundation of everything we do. It's the foundation of who we are as people. And unfortunately these days, the foundation is not very well laid in most people's lives today because people do not seem to know God as he truly wants to be known in the scriptures. And the biblical standard is really the only standard we have. Unfortunately today we have instead created a, an, another God and another Jesus more in tune with what we want God to be like and we want Jesus to be like instead. But John brought us a scripture uh, a week or so ago and it was from Proverbs 9 verse 10 and I just quote it to you now. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Especially that second half of that verse, the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And that's what we really need to get to grips with, the knowledge of the Holy One, which is understanding. And in view of this, I felt the Lord has led me to preach upon this morning a, a, a particular parable in the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. It's the parable of the talents. And some people may think, well, where do you get knowledge of God, understanding of God, knowledge of the Holy One, and the parable of the talents? Well, hopefully we'll come to that uh, in time. But... Um, I truly hope that you have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is speaking to his church through his word in these days. Now, in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus had just been speaking the great Olivet Discourse, the, the big sermon that he gave on the, uh, the Mount of Olives. And he focused so much of his emphasis on that sermon, very much at the end of his life, uh, on the last days. And almost like it gives us almost a chronology of events, of signs to look out for in the last days. And this is what it's going to look like in the last days. Watch out, you're not deceived. There's going to be wars and rumours of wars. See that you are not alarmed, but they will lay hands upon you. They will give you over to persecution. The love of many will grow cold. He who endures to the end will be saved. Then he talks about the, the days just before the coming of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ in, in power and great glory. And it's, it's just such an immense snapshot and view of what it's going to be like in the last days. And I do believe that we are living in the prelude to some of those last days at this moment in time. And some of the things that we are seeing going on around us and hearing uh, around us at this moment in time with the lockdown and the whole pandemic issue, I think is just a, pre, a prelude to these days. Really, I think we're entering into this period, really, of the last days that the Lord warned us about in, in Matthew 24 and 25. And Jesus speaks very much about the signs of his coming and then of his glorious coming and what it's going to look like. And that is all very profitable to, to, to read and, and to, to know. But then in Matthew, the end of Matthew 24 and the, and the beginning of Matthew 25, Jesus presents four parables, four Olivet parables. And, and every one of them is speaking about a similar subject area, the return of Christ and what's going to happen at his return. It's just different perspectives, different angles of what is effect effectively is the same event, the return of Christ and what's going to happen at his return. And the first one of those is the parable of the wise and the, the wise servant put over the master's household, talking about leadership in the church and what's going to happen to leaders at the return of Jesus Christ. They will be dealt with first. They'll be first for reward and first for punishment in, in uh, at the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, 
But the second of those parables is the wise and the foolish virgins. And the wise and the foolish virgins, in a nutshell, is basically talking about the, uh, whether we have oil in our lamps. The wise virgins, they took the time to get oil in their lamps. Whereas the foolish virgins, they had the lamps, but they didn't take the time to get oil in their lamps. And it very much speaks to us today of getting the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon the lamp of, our, of the Word of God. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And many people have the Word of God, but not many people actually have the anointing of the Holy Spirit on the Word of God. And it's only when the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit fills our lamp that the light will shine from the lamp to give us light in the darkness. You remember when the, at the midnight hour, that's when the call came, the bridegroom is here, get yourself ready. And all the virgins trimmed their lamps, but only the ones who had oil in their lamps had light coming out of their lamps so they could see in the darkness to go into the wedding feast because they were ready. The foolish virgins did not. And what is the light that needs to shine out of our lamps? Well, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who walks, who, who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And if you want to know, if you want the light for the last days, you'll get oil in your lamp. You'll understand who the true Jesus is. You'll have a pure light shining from your lamp. You will, when you read the word of God, you will ask the Holy Spirit to, to teach you these things, to reveal these things to you and, 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 and allow God's Holy Spirit to start ministering the word to you. And it's as the oil of, the, of, of, of God's Holy Spirit effectively anoints the word, it starts to become alive and something real to your soul. And the light of Christ starts to shine in your heart and through you also. And this is all about the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins and how important it is in the days in which we live, which are very dark and they're increasingly getting darker and darker, that we get oil in our lamps. But the third parable, which is the parable of the, of the talents, is what I want to really focus upon today. And I, and I feel the parable of the wise and foolish virgins and the parable of the talents are very connected, they're very similar in what they are saying to us in these days. And in, in, in Matthew 25 and verse 14 it says, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. It is just like a man going, about to go on a journey. It connects the, the previous parable, the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins, with the parable of the talents. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on a journey. And immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. And in the same manner the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you had not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and I went away and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap what I did where I did not sow, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, 
and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Some translations say give it to the bankers. Therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And throw out that worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's take some time to pray and seek the Lord over this message. Father God, we, we do thank you for the riches of your word. Father, we need your Holy Spirit, we need your oil in our lamps this day. That, you, that the, the reading of the scripture may be, become real to us, that your word may become alive to us. Father God, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we may have eyes that see. We pray, Father God, that you would pierce our ears, that we may hear what the Spirit is saying to the church these days through your word. Grant us seeing eyes, hearing ears, and a heart that perceives the word of the Lord. We pray for your anointing upon the message this day. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we have the parable of the talents. And so many people, when you hear about the parable of the talents, they say, well, that's talking about uh, our natural talents that God's given us. God gives us natural talents. We're not to bury them in the ground. We're supposed to use them to the Lord's glory. Uh, if, you know, if I have a talent for playing the piano, I should not bury my talent in the ground and, and never use it. I should use it for the glory of God or I should do something with it. And that is it to be trading with our talents or being utilising our talents. And certainly you can get a general sense of we need to be faithful in what Jesus has given to us. This is a general theme of the parable. But I would say the normal way of looking at the parable of the talents is not really what the parable of the talents is about at all. In fact, I used to read it and think, I used to struggle quite a lot with this parable because understanding what people spoke of it, that it was to do with how you used your money or how you used your natural giftings and abilities, I would think, well, how come then, if that's the case, the guy who got the had the least to start with was thrown into hell at the end of it and, and he, even what he thought he had was taken away from him. I thought God, the gospel came to those who were, who were um, weak in this world's view, not those who were well gifted in this, in this world. And Because the principle of the talent seems to be the more you have, the more you initially receive, the more you will then get. And in time the greater reward you will get and those who get the least will not receive any more and will lose what they originally had and probably be thrown into hell at the end of it. So when I was thinking about this, I thought, well, this doesn't seem to be something that uh, is in accord with what we normally think about the parable of the talents, that it's according to natural giftings and natural abilities, or even to that extent about money. It's not about money. So, so if it's not about money, and it's not about natural giftings, natural talents, what is it about? Well, what do the talents represent, could we ask? What do the talents represent? And if you look at the scripture, the talents, it says of the talents, he gave his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. His possessions. The talents were not something uh, natural, not something that uh, was a natural ability or natural money, for example. It was... He entrusted his possessions to them. And a talent was, literally in those days, was a measure of money. And the talent, uh, if you read about it in, 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 and research it, it, it weighed a lot of, a lot of uh, it, was, it was quite heavy. It was about 80 pounds or 36 kilograms. And the money in those days was usually weighed out in silver when it was used as a unit of currency or money. So one talent of silver was a weighty thing and it was worth approximately 6,000 denarii. Now if we then look at a denarii as being worth one day's wages for a worker, he would work one day and get a denarius for his day's labour. We could effectively correlate or show that one talent of silver would be approximately equal to 16 to 19 years worth of a workman's labour. 
That many was worth a great deal. You didn't see talents of silver sitting around the household. It was usually put in a very safe place because these things were worth a lot of money. Effectively, one talent of silver would be worth up to 16, possibly even to 19 years' labour of a workman, a general labourer. And if we, just for the uh, ease of thinking about it in our modern day perspective today, if we think of what is an average salary for a tradesman of about 25,000 British pounds a year, if you times that 6 by 16 to 19 years, you will get something in the range of between 400,000 pounds and 475,000 pounds worth of a talent. And if you say one was given five talents, effectively in today's currency, approximately, it's not a perfect rule of thumb, but approximately five talents would have been worth about two million pounds plus in today's way of looking at things in today's currency. So you could see that the, 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 the talents were not just something small. They were something extremely valuable, something very precious, uh, as a term of money, they were, and the Bible calls them the master's possession. So what do the talents represent? What is, what is the greatest treasure a man can possess? What is the master's possession? Well, I would say it this way. The greatest treasure a man can ever possess is the true knowledge of God. The true knowledge of God given through a revelation of his Son, Jesus Christ. I want to read from Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. The unfathomable riches, the riches that are in Christ Jesus that cannot be fathomed. There is no bottom to, to, the, to the depth of the riches that are found in Christ and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I believe the talents refer to the true knowledge of God given through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The Bible speaks about the true knowledge of God and it speaks about the knowledge of God. There is a difference. There are many people today who have a lot of knowledge about God. They, have, they are full of education, full of learning, full of theories, full of, full of interesting facts, full of um, information about God. They can quote you the Bible, they, they, they can impress you with how much they know, but it's not the true knowledge of God. The Bible speaks about the true knowledge of God. And the true knowledge of God is something very different. It's something where the, you know something of God, but that knowledge becomes personal in your heart and in your soul. For example, we've been talking, John, Pastor John has been speaking about the, uh, the, the knowledge that God is holy. Now most people who go to the church or most people who have, uh, call themselves Christians will be able to tell you that God is holy. But in my experience and in my uh, time of being a believer, there's been very few that I've come across who have the true knowledge of God as being the Holy One of Israel in their heart. Many people have knowledge of God, but very few have the true knowledge of God in their heart. You see, when, if you know that God is holy, that, that's good, but if, you, if that knowledge then becomes real in your soul, it becomes the true knowledge of God to you. And that is, the, I believe that is exactly that is the talent that God wants to give to us today, is the true knowledge of God given through a revelation of Jesus the Christ. How do we know that God is holy? Well, we can know it through his word. We can read or listen and say, well, God is holy. But when we get a revelation of Christ, like the prophet Isaiah got in, in, in Isaiah chapter 6, and he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and he heard the seraphim saying over and over again, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of his glory. Hosanna in the highest. And, and what did the uh, prophet say? Did he go up to God and say, Well, nice to see you, God. It's great to know you are holy. No, he said, I am undone. 
because he saw something of the risen Saviour, risen, uh, sorry, uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. And he saw something of his holiness. And, that's, and the, the holiness of God entered into his soul, entered into his heart. And that knowledge of God educated his soul in the fact that God was holy. And before God's holiness, he, he knew he was undone. He said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live amongst the people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of glory. It's when God actually allows you to perceive something of himself that touches your heart. That's when knowledge of God becomes the true knowledge of God. That's when it becomes the talent that God wishes to give to you. Something of inestimable worth, unfathomable wealth and, and richness, which is Christ. And Isaiah the prophet was undone and then the angel comes and gives him the coal from the, with the tongs from the altar and he touches his lips and says, you see your iniquity is atoned for. And then he hears the voice of God speaking to him. And God intervenes and because God is holy and he is set apart from man. He is exalted above the heavens. Even though we are undone before him, he will be merciful unto us. Many people know theoretically that God is merciful. But how many of us really know God as the mercy of merciful God? really in our souls. When you know that you're undone before God and you realise, like the prodigal son, you, you go to the Father and you say, I have sinned against heaven and against you, Father. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like your hired servants. And then the Father turns around and says to you, bring the best robe and put it on him. Shot his feet with shoes. Put a ring on his finger. He's back in my family. I'm having mercy upon him. I, in a logical sense, I should make him my servant. But no, he's going to be my son. I'm going to forgive him because I love him. Kill the fattened calf. Let's have a celebration for my son is, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. When, when you go through something like that and it becomes real to you and, and you see that you are undone before a holy God... And then you experience the mercy of God being extended to you and the love of God and the compassions of God being new to you every morning. That's when theoretical knowledge becomes true knowledge of God. That's when it becomes heavenly talents which God wants to give to you and to give to me. When John, the, the Apostle John, saw Jesus in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 21. He heard a voice and he, he saw one uh, like a son of man. And what did John do? He fell flat on his face as one who was dead. You see, when you, are, when you are given a glimpse of the Holy One, when God reveals something of his glory, something of his majesty, something of his beauty and his holiness to you. You are undone. You fall at his feet as though dead. And what did Jesus do to him? He didn't leave him there. He placed his hand upon him and he spoke to him and he strengthened him and he gave him the message of the revelation which blesses us even today. God gave his talents. Well, in the, in the, in the, uh, the, the story of the talents, it says it was a man just about to go on his journey. He called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. Well, Jesus was upon this earth and he then went on a long journey. He ascended into heaven and is sat at the right hand of the Father awaiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. He's gone on a long journey, but one day he will come back from that journey and he will settle accounts with his servants. And that's called the Bema Seat of Christ. We read about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. For we must all Christian people, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds done in the body, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. And so the whole parable of the talents is, is talking about a man going on a journey, which is Jesus. And before he went on that journey, he called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. And he gave his talents to them before he went on the journey. 
What did Jesus do before he was ascended into heaven? Let's read in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, verses 25 to 27. Remember the road to Emmaus? The two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were talking with one another, discussing the things that had happened. They thought Jesus was the one to free them from Roman slavery and he was the one who was going to free them all and, and now he was dead and what was going to happen and then Jesus comes and walks alongside them and asks them what they're talking about and they discuss it with them. And in verse 25 of Luke 24, he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning from Moses and from all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. What was he doing? He was giving them the talents. He was investing heavenly treasure into his disciples. He was granting them understanding of the scriptures. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. He was granting them. He was opening up their minds. He was revealing himself in the scriptures. And by revealing himself in the scriptures, he was revealing to them the treasures of the true knowledge of God himself. We've been speaking about coming back to, a, to the God of the Bible. This is what we need, brothers and sisters. We need the true knowledge of God, not for it to be a theoretical concept in our heads, but something that is real, active and living in our very souls to such an extent that it changes us. You see, when you take a hold of this and you know that God is holy, that sense of God's holiness pervades everything you then do. You cannot act in an unholy, irreligious manner before God. You cannot act in a profane manner towards him. You will take God in what you say. You will take God in how you conduct yourself. When you come into the house of God and you praise the Lord, you will make sure you bring it in a holy manner. You will flee from profanity and frivolity in the house of God because the holiness of God, the true knowledge of God and his holiness will so impact your very heart that it, that it impacts everything you do and you are. Because then, then you start to become holy as he is holy. What did Jesus give to his disciples? He gave them understanding of the scriptures and specifically how they pointed to him as the Christ of the Old Testament. He revealed himself to them. He gave them the talents. He was investing heavenly treasure into their hearts. Not just to educate their minds but to change them from within. A few verses on. In Luke 24 and verses 44 to 48, he talks about how the, these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they, when, when Jesus disappeared from their side, they ran back to the apostles and they reported to them, we have seen the Lord, he is indeed risen. And the Bible says that Jesus himself appeared amongst them and said, peace be to you. And in verses 44 to 48, he said to his disciples, these are my words which I spoke to you whilst I was still with you. That all things which are written about me in the law of the prophet, law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then verse 45, he opened their minds. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name. To all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. What was Jesus doing? He came to give the talents before he went away on a long journey. He was investing heavenly treasure into his disciples. He was giving the five talents, the two talents, the one talent. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 and 6, the Apostle Paul says this. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. That in everything you were enriched in him. In all speech and all knowledge. Even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you so that you lack no gift. What is the Apostle Paul saying? He is saying that the grace of God which was given to you that in everything has enriched you. 
The grace of God that is towards you and unto you has enriched you. And it's not just enriched you in the sense of being a blessing. It has enriched your whole life. It's impacted your speech, your, your understanding, your, your knowledge, your thinking, your emotions. Every aspect of your life will be enriched if that treasure of Christ is truly known and understood in your heart. Have you been enriched in Christ? This is the key question. Have you, have you received the wealth of the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Have you been enriched in God? Because if you are enriched in Christ, if you receive that talent, if, if the knowledge of God, the true knowledge of God becomes real to you, it will impact every part of your life. You will be a different person. If you have understand the mercy of God and how great the mercy that God has lavished upon you, how could I not show mercy to another? How could I judge people and, and cut them off and, and be severe with people when I, when I have received such mercy myself? How can I not show the love of Christ to someone when I have received such a love of the Saviour to me and I know that love? How can I not give it to others? This is the receiving of the talents. Has our knowledge of God enriched us in speech, in knowledge, in our conduct, in how we treat other people? Are we rich towards God? Remember in Luke chapter 12, Jesus spoke the parable of the rich man whose fields gave him an abundant harvest. And he said, well, you know, what am I going to do? I can't fit all this abundance in my barns. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And so I can fill them with all this good produce. And when I've done it all and I've worked hard, I'm going to put my feet up and I'm going to rest and take my ease and eat, drink and be merry. And he was very rich in a worldly way of thinking. But what were God's words to him? First words God spoke to him is he said, you fool. You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. Now who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And Jesus said in verse 21 of verse, Luke chapter 12, So is the man who stores up treasures for himself, but is not rich towards God. And that is the key issue, brothers and sisters. Are we rich in God's eyes? Are we rich unto God? Do we have the wealth of his his possession in us. Have we received his talents? And if so, how many talents have we received? So how can we get the talents? How can we trade them? The scripture says that he gave each according to his own ability. To one he gave five talents, to one uh, two and to another one. Each according to his own ability and he went on his journey. The ability to receive his treasure is that will be determined by the capacity of our hearts. How many talents you receive initially will be determined by how soft a heart you have or how hard your heart is. If you have a hard heart, generally speaking, at best you will get one talent. And the softer your, the ground of your heart is, according to the parable of the soul we're talking about now referring to, the softness of your heart will determine the capacity you have for receiving the true knowledge of God into your heart. And many of these things I'm talking about now I've only really come into in the last few years of my life. And I've been a Christian for many, many years, zealously preaching and teaching and being into God's word. But it's only been recently, really, I could say, where God has really started to effect the, his truth in my heart in such a powerful way that, that I'm starting to know the Holy One. Because I received understanding of God's spirit. The state of our hearts, whether they are soft or hard, will determine how many talents we receive. A soft heart has, and soft soil in our hearts has the capacity to receive so much greater than stony soil or thorny soil. Jesus wants to plant his word deep into the soil of your heart. The imperishable word that will produce a great growth and, and, a, and fruitfulness in our lives if we allow the, his word, the true knowledge of God to be implanted deep into the soil of our hearts. But it very much determines what the state of our hearts is like. 
So many of us have hardened hearts, but we don't realize it. So many of us in the church, we, 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 we know so much, but our knowledge of God calluses our hearts because it puffs us up in pride. And we think because we know lots about God, we're, we're something spiritual. And we don't realize that spirituality comes from having a soft heart and humility and humbly accepting the word that God wants to implant into you, which can save your soul. Humility comes before anything. In Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 23 it says, Buy the truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. Buy the truth and do not sell it. There is almost like it's put in terms of a transaction. Not that we can buy with money. You cannot buy anything of God with money. But according to Isaiah 55, we buy the things of God with no money by listening carefully and eating that which is good, verse 2 of Isaiah 55. And in verse 3 it talks about inclining our ears to come to him and listen that we may live. It's that sense of we, we buy the truth by inclining our ears to God's truth and by listening to it. Eating, listening carefully to him and eating and feeding upon his word and, and, and allowing the nourishment of his word to come into our very inner being. There is so much need for this today, brothers and sisters. So much need to, to feed ourselves upon the, on the good word of God. To allow the, the true knowledge of God to impact and penetrate our stony hearts. How we need soft hearts today, brothers and sisters, we, we really do. You know, we live, often many people say we live in the Laodicean age of the, the last day's church, which is full of itself and thinks because it's rich and got money, it, it, it's, it's, it's got spirituality. But Jesus said to them something completely different. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, Jesus gave these words to the, book of, to the church of Laodicea. Because you say I am rich, I've become wealthy, I've need of nothing. Like so many churches, big churches today where they, where they have money, there's resource behind them. We have become rich, we have become wealthy, we are blessed. But you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. What damning words Jesus spoke over that church. And I believe you would say the same over many of the so-called churches in our days today. But what does he say to the Laodicean church? He says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire. So that you will become rich. Not rich according to the standard of this world. But rich in God's view. Rich according to the true riches of heaven. Rich according to God's Standard, rich according to the talents that he wants to give to his servants. Gold speaks to us of the person of God himself, that purity. Gold is a pure metal, it does not rust, it does not perish. And gold that has been refined in the fire, effectively is that true knowledge of God that has been tested and proven in your life. You know, sometimes I hear people say, well, why has God allowed this to happen to me? Why does these things always happen to me? Why do bad things always happen to me? Is God fair? He doesn't seem to be fair to me. Ever since I became a Christian, just bad stuff seems to be happening to me. Is that fair? What's happening, God? I thought you were a God of love. And our knowledge of God is tested. It's exactly in those times where you need to go through the testing and praise God despite the circumstances when you, God will prove himself faithful to you. When the challenges of life are happening, when you're being shaken, when the things you did not expect are coming upon you and you think, well, I thought I'd be blessed as a Christian. What's going on? I feel like I'm almost coming under a curse. What's going on? God, have you abandoned me? Where are you, Lord? Why do you not answer my prayers? Why do my children keep getting worse and worse and worse? I pray for them every night. Why don't they get better? Why isn't there a breakthrough? This is the time to hold on to the faithfulness of God. And yet, yet if he, even if he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Though, though there be no cattle in the stall, no seed in the barn, yet will I trust in the Lord. I trust in the God of my salvation. 
You know, there is a cost to receiving this gold. It's not a cost in money, but it's a cost in heart and how much of your heart you give to God. I've received gold from God. I've received talents from the Lord. But it's taken many years in my life to obtain certain talents. And there's been a great cost in my life at times. I have been through great times of great shaking in my life. Times when I've lost inordinate amounts of money and, and lost inordinate amounts of reputation before people when my name has been dragged through the mud and people have cursed me and said all manner of things against me because of my stand for the word of God and for the truth. And at times it's been hard. Sometimes you've been, you stand alone and, or you feel like you're alone, like the prophet Elijah, and say, Lord, it's, who is there left? And there is a cost when you go through the wilderness experiences, when you go through them, but when, you, when your faith is being tested, that's the, that's the critical time when you need to be faithful to the Lord and, 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 to, and your faith will be tested and you need to stay, take hold of your faith and, and, and declare the Lord's goodness in such a time as this. You know, when, when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, that's when you shall fear no evil, for God is with me. His rod and his staff is comforting me. I may not see it, but I know it to be true because I know God to be faithful. The good confession. The Bible says to buy the truth and do not sell it. How do you buy the gifts of God? Well, you don't buy them with money, that's for sure. But you, in a sense, you, you purchase this heavenly gold by the giving of your heart. And the more wholehearted we are in in, and wholehearted we are in, in the giving of our hearts to him, the more talents we will receive from him. And how do we trade the talents? Well, the true knowledge of God is something that not only will affect our minds, but will sink into our souls. It's not theoretical knowledge, it's the true knowledge of God. What I've been trying to talk all this time is about how the true knowledge of God is something real and living. It's a, it's a living truth. It's a living reality in your very soul that you know God is holy. You know God is loving. You know God is merciful. You know God is just because he is the just one. He is the holy one of Israel. The true knowledge of God not only affects your mind, but it enters and sinks into your soul and your inner being and changes you. The true knowledge of God becomes something we can come to know and become a part of us. It, it starts to change us and we, be, we, we, we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We start being conformed into the image of Christ. Everything we start to do is, starts to be shaped by this true knowledge of God because it has become an intrinsic part of us. And it starts to be a, so much a part of us, we start acting according to, with the true knowledge of God that has become so real to us. We are putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. The sweet aroma of Christ is beginning to pervade from us and we begin to invest this treasure into others. This is what is known as trading your talents. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, it says this, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. And then verse 15, For we are a fragrance of Christ to God amongst those who are being saved and amongst those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death, and to the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? What an absolutely tremendous verse or verses of scripture in the book of Corinthians there thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us this is what God wants to do through you he wants to manifest through you the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ in every place you go that's what God wants to do through you he's given you talents in order that you may trade your talents and gain more for yourself and invest talents in others also. How are you enriching those around you? What portion of Christ are we investing into each other? 
Is he able to manifest the true knowledge of Christ through us? Or is it just all theoretical head knowledge in our heads? Are we manifesting our own flavour, the own rottenness of our own character? Or are we truly manifesting the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ in every place? I tell you, when, when the knowledge of God becomes something personal to you, when you start to know God and become known by him, it changes you. You become a different person. You start to get to know the God of the Bible. You start to get to know God for who he is. And you realize that he knows you also. And that knowledge becomes sweet to your soul. It becomes something that just starts to come out of you. And reach and touch other people. And you start to realize that the person you used to be is no longer you. You are different. You are a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are brand new. It's such a joy. This is the glory of living in Christ. Is that we are being renewed from glory. One level of glory to another. In Christ. We are putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. We are being conformed to the image of God's Son. Jesus Christ. And it's through receiving the talents. It's receiving that true knowledge of God himself. And coming to know him as he is. Getting to know the God of the Bible. And... God wants us not only to, to receive this into our own hearts ourselves, but also to give it out. Are we investing into others? What do we invest into others? Are we investing the exceeding greatness and worth of Christ into our brothers and sisters? Or are we just investing our own carnal nature into them day after day? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul said these words, we are as poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing all things. What a glorious statement the Apostle Paul said. You know, often he would say in his, in his, um, his letters, he would be, we, are, we apostles, we're like men condemned to die in the arena. We are the dregs of all society. We are the ones almost like cursed and looked down upon. and We're not like those super apostles who promote themselves and make themselves look good. God has exhibited us as last of all. Yet we have the riches of heaven within us. And this richness of God within us, we are now making manifest to others. Or God is making manifest through us to others. We are poor, yet we are making many rich. Brothers and sisters, I ask you today. Are you enriching the people around you with the true knowledge of God? Is something of the, the person of Christ being exemplified and manifested through your life? Do you show love? Do you show compassion? Do you show mercy? Are you a man of truth? Does your word mean something? Are we portraying, are we manifesting something of the divine being something of gold, something of great worth to those around us. Jesus gave the, uh, the first servant or slave five talents, and to another two and to another one, each according to his ability, and he went on his journey. Jesus invested his talents to his disciples and he went on a journey. And one day he's coming back, as we spoke a bit earlier on. He's going to come back and the first thing he's going to do, he's going to summon his people before him to the judgment seat of Christ. And this is a little perspective of what that's going to look like. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more. He said, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. I tell you, brothers and sisters, I am longing for that day and I'm longing for those words. If my whole life can be lived for my father to utter those words to me on that day, I'll be happy. What are we living for, brothers and sisters? Is it for the praise and the adulation of men? Is it for people to think of ourselves as something great in this earth, in this life? Or are we looking for the praise of the eternal God? 
Are we looking for praise from our God on that day? Will he say to us when we stand before him, well done, good and faithful slave. You took what I gave you and you utilised it and you made five more talents, you made two more talents. You were faithful with what you were given, coming into the joy of your master. And the same with the two talents. But then there was the one with the one talent. And he said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you had scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, what you have is yours. When speaking about why he takes away the worthless servant's one talent and gives it to the servant who had the ten, the master makes this statement in verse 29. He says, For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he, what he has or does have, or thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. This phrase that Jesus uses in, in verse 29 of Matthew 25, he actually repeats it. He says it three times in three different situations in the, in the word. One is in the parable of the talents in, in the Olivet Discourse. Another is just before he came to Jerusalem, as he was before he entered Jerusalem. And, and one is in the situation of the parable of the sower. And I just want to read from Matthew 13 where it talks of, uses this phrase that he uses in the parable of the talents. But he uses it in, in, in the connection with the parable of the sower. And he brings out something quite interesting in this. And in verse, uh, Matthew 13, verses 11 and 12, he says, And Jesus answered them, and he said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. What is Jesus saying here? To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them who are outside it has not been granted for. To whoever has, has what? Has the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Brothers and sisters, I ask you today, do you have the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Do you know the mystery of God in Christ Jesus? Has the mystery of, of God been revealed to you? It's something that can only be revealed by the Spirit to you. It's a mis otherwise it's a mystery. It's clouded from our, from our view. We, you cannot understand the things of God with a carnal mind. No matter how much knowledge you have in your head, it will never translate into unlocking the mysteries of God unless you have the Holy Spirit to pour oil into your lamp, to enlighten your reading of the Word of God, to reveal Christ in His Word. To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the Kingdom of Heaven, and whoever has this, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has, the one talent, shall be taken away from him. In other words, if you have the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, you will be given more and more and more and you will have an abundance. But if you know and understand very little of the things of God, if you've taken very little time to seek after the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, if you've taken very little time to truly seek after God and, and the true knowledge of him, even what you think you have, one day may be taken away from you. What is this mystery it's talking about? Well, in Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, it has, the Apostle Paul says these words. That their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth of the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ. That is Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Just, what can you say about such verses as those? They're, they're so utterly rich and profound, so glorious, that we may attain to all the wealth, the richness. Have you been enriched in Christ? Have you received the five talents or the two talents? 
the wealth of a full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When we, when we seek after Jesus, when we seek after the truth of God and his truth only, God will give us a revelation of Christ. God will grant us the understanding of him as the Holy One of Israel, as the Holy One who is our Lord. How will you receive this wealth? How will you receive this treasure? Some will receive five talents, some will two, some will only one. The man who received only the one talent said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. He had very little insight into the knowledge of God. This is all he knew of God. He didn't know God as God of love, God of mercy, God of compassion, God of kindness, God of truth. All he knew was that, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Now, in many years ago, many people's image of God was that's all they knew of God, that he was a hard man. He was, he was someone austere and, and, and set apart from sinners and he's somewhere up there with a big stick and he's going to back you if you get out of line. And some people, that's all the knowledge of God that they have. He had one talent. He only had a small understanding of the knowledge of God. He only knew God to be a hard man. But in our day, do people know God as the hard man? Well, in some quarters of this world, but in many quarters that I have been around and, and places I have been, people have a very, very small aspect of God. And all they know about God is that God is love. And that's all they think they know about God is that God is love. Actually, it'd probably be more... Um, accurately described as that God is nice because their God that they have that they think they know is is a God who is nice to everyone who is nice to them because God who is love will not be loving to uh, sinful acts it's not loving to to wink at sin it's certainly not but to be nice is to be wink at sin and it doesn't matter and it's not a problem how you live it's not a problem how you are just come to me because I'm nice the God that we have created in these days is the God of niceness it's the nice God but that's not the God of the Bible and today I feel there are many people in the church who have one talent and all they know of God is that he is a nice God and one day they, they will find out that actually he's not nice at all he is love he is justice he is merciful, he is true, he is kind, he is patient, but he's not nice in our worldly way of looking at things. This man, he had very little knowledge of God. And what little knowledge he had, he didn't put it to work. He did not feel compelled to seek the Lord and to know more about him. He did not ally himself with those who would encourage him in the faith. You know, Jesus says, you should have put my money with the bankers or in the bank and that I may get a return with, of interest upon my return. Well, who are the bankers? Those are people who have lots of the talents in, in, in store and uh, who, who deal with, with many talents. Someone like the Apostle Paul, you could see as a, in this sense of the word, as a banker of, in heavenly treasure. One who had much of, 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 of the revelation of Christ and he sought to explain it to others. If we, if we put our money with the bankers, we're investing and allying ourselves with people who truly know the Lord. And if maybe we don't know the Lord ourselves, if we ally ourselves with someone who does and sit under their ministry and seek out ministries who actually do have richness in their ministry, richness of Christ in their ministry, then we shall be, we be enriched ourselves. But this man didn't do that. Through spiritual laziness, he took the, what his father had given him, or Jesus had given him, and he dug it in the ground. He buried his treasure into this cursed world, rather than get it into the word of God himself, and get into the word of God himself. You see, many people today take what they know of God, or what they think they know of God, and they mix it with the things of this world. And the God that they start to believe in is someone that is actually more a God of this world, and is more... Uh, accurately speaking, someone that reflects what we want him to be 
rather than the God of the Bible. The talent gets mixed and dug into the earth. And when, when something gets put into the earth, it gets dirty. It gets dirtied and covered in, in, in earth and dirt. And the earth is cursed. And so many people, instead of investing in true treasure, coming to the word of God and seeking for God, for, his, for who he really is, and the truth of God's word for, for who he really is, they, they instead invest what they, what they think they know of God into the things of this world, and they come out with an idol of their own making. And the little that he has is taken away from him. He expected, I suppose, to be received by God, but there are no good words for him. He says, you ought to have put my money in the bank with the bankers, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And throw out that worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the God we serve. We serve a God who loves us, but we also serve a God who will throw people into hell at the end of, of their lives if they have not invested the thing, done what he told them to do, have not abided in him, and are not covered in the blood of Christ. God, Jesus calls this man a worthless slave. See, God is looking for a return on his investment, not in terms of worldly finances, not in terms of worldly, um, worldly things, but in terms of an increase in the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ abounding in us and abounding through us in every place we go. That's the return he's looking for. He's looking for you to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to become fruitful by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and walking in his love, walking in his compassion, walking in his love to one another. This is what he's looking for. Because if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. And we will not have these words spoken to us on that day. Jesus is looking for fruit. He came to the fig tree in Jerusalem and he, he cursed the fig tree because there was no fruit on it. And it withered from the roots. Jesus is looking for fruit. And one day he's going to come to this earth to see what fruit has been produced. And it's not fruit according to our own abilities. not the fruit of, of bigger churches and bigger ministries and big houses and and all worldly sort of things and having a big following on, on Facebook or having a big ministry or thinking we have a big ministry is what we have invested of Christ into one another. How have I loved my brother? How have I laid down my life for my brother and my sister? How much have I influenced those around me with the knowledge, the true knowledge of God? How have I enriched my brothers and my sisters around me? Have I... Have I given them something of, of, of infinite value, the unfathomable riches of Christ? Have I, have I portrayed that in word and in deed? You know, you can, you can give Christ to someone through what you do. Not necessarily just by what you speak, is what you do and who you are as a person. Are you a gentle person or are you a nasty person who's always rubbing everyone else up the wrong way? Are you a loving person who puts others before themselves and always puts themselves second or last compared to others? Do you put others before yourself? This is investing our talents one to another. Jesus spoke the parable of the talents because he, he wants us to, to seek after the things which are above. Lay your treasure above, Jesus said, not on this earth where moth and rust rot and thieves break in and steal. But lay your treasure above. Is your treasure above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God? Where is your heart today? Is it in the things of this world and this life? Or is it in the things which are to come? In Christ himself. Have you been enriched by the talents? Have you been, have you been given, how many talents have you been given? Have you received a full allotment? Do you want the talents of God? Do you want to get the truth of God? Do you want to know God? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name, do that in your name? And you say, depart from me, I never knew you. That's what it's all going to boil down to in the end. Do we know him 
and more importantly, does he know us? How we receive the talents and how we traded our talents, how we become profitable servants. This is what God is looking for in these last days. I pray for, that you will hear the words of this message and not start to whip yourself in some dead works and try and do more for God, but that you will seek him for who he is. Seek him for his truth of who he truly is, what John's been speaking about in the last few weeks. Seeking the God of the Bible, getting back to the God of the Bible. Who does the Bible, who, who is the God of the Bible? What does the Bible speak about God? Who is the God of the Bible? To many people he is a mystery. He is something that they do not know and perceive. But God wants to reveal himself to you, but you have to seek after it with all your heart. There is a payment which is due. It's not a payment in money, not a payment in the things of this world, but a payment of your wholeheartedness being given over to seeking after him. Will you seek after the things of God? I trust that you will. Let us seek after him, who is the Lord of heaven and earth, who is the enricher of us, who will give us all good things to us who need them. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, we, we understand that some verses and some things in your word can be quite challenging to us. And certainly this parable is one of them. But Father, we, we want to be profitable servants. We want to take hold of the treasure which is Christ. Father, help us to have eyes that see. Give us eyes that see, Father, we pray. We are blind unless you open up our eyes. Father, grant us ears that hear. So many of us are deaf in these days. Grant us ears that hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, Father, we pray. And give me a soft heart. Give me a soft heart and may, may my result be that I am ready to count the cost of what it, what it needs to, to, to attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Help me to count the cost and to give up all for, for, for Jesus. Father, communicate these words to us, we pray. May we be good servants. We pray that on that day that we will stand before you, we'll be able to hear those gracious and great words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with the small thing. Come, enter into the joy of your master. Father, may this be our inheritance. May this be our experience, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, brothers and sisters. Amen.